0: Welcome to the Critical Futures Podcast. It's critical because the time is now to conjure the world and communities you want to live and thrive in. But it's also futurity, or the intentional imagining and materializing of liberated futures where freedom from oppression, trauma, violence, and discrimination are realized. In this series, we chat with members of the Anti-Racism Consortium in partnership with the Institute for Healing Justice and Equity. These are conversations between organizations and their community partners to highlight how to deeply work with community in a way that shares power and moves us all towards liberation. Welcome everyone to our next episode of Critical Futures. My name is Rekhaya Yerby. I am the inaugural Kara J. Trott Professor of Health Law at the Moritz College of Law at The Ohio State University and a co-founder of the Institute for Healing Justice and Equity. Today, we are going to have an amazing discussion with individuals who are community health workers and work with the National Association of Community Health Workers. And I'm going to get us started off with introductions. So let me turn it over to Denise Smith.
1: Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for for having me. My name is Denise Octavia Smith. And I bring you greetings from Hartford, Connecticut. I'm a community health worker, a patient navigator, a survivor of a rare chronic disease. And in 2019, I had the uh, incredible honor of becoming the inaugural executive director of the National Association of Community Health Workers. And it's great to be here.
2: Yes. Good afternoon. Um, My name is Abdul Hafib uh, bin Abdullah. And I'm a community health worker of over 20 years with a background that focuses on um, exposure to violence and attempting to look at ways of mitigating harms in our community as it relates to structural and interpersonal violence. I give you greetings from Wilmington, North Carolina, I'm originally from Southern California, and I'm really, really grateful to be sitting here with you guys. I'm also the co-founder of CHASM, community healing through activism and strategic mobilization, and the executive director and founder of Sokoto House, located in Wilmington, North Carolina.
3: Hi, everyone. My name is Ramana shams Rabani. I've been trained as a community health worker in violence prevention, um, a survivor of domestic violence and how to empower other women to get out of the situation. I'm a Robert Johnson Foundation Health Policy Research Scholar and um, a PhD program doing a minor in Implementation Science. Also the other co founder for Chasm with Abdullah. It's an honor to be here with you today. Also from Wilmington, North Carolina. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us. So we're going to get started with the first question, which is, when you hear the phrase critical futures, what does that mean to you in your work on anti-racist health policy or research on structural racism in the healthcare system?
1: Well, I'm gonna jump in um, because I thought it was an interesting first question and I'm gonna sort of deconstruct the phrase. I'm just gonna say that we are at one of the most critical points in human history um, and I'm concerned about our future. So that's sort of the way that I deconstruct that. Um, we have, um, we have slipped through, uh, and some would say we are out of, and I think that's a a huge concern, a global pandemic, um, which has only served to deepen structural inequity, preventable death, economic disparity, and lack of agency. For indigenous communities, for communities of color all over the planet who have experienced colonization and who experience the ongoing perpetual impacts of hierarchies which don't value their processes, their approaches, their assets. And the reason I start at that 30,000 foot level is because I endeavor in my work to create space for my OGs, my mentors, my leaders um, that I see across the country and, and around the world who identify as community health workers. These are people who are from every language, from every lived experience, from every geography, every faith. And for many reasons, which I think we'll unpack here today, They have experienced and continue to experience the downstream impacts of the way we do not love and respect the limited resources in the earth, the way that we capitalize and monetize health care, the delivery of care, um, the way that we create distance um, and lack of access for people just because they don't have money or status. And these people have made a choice to go back into some of these very spaces. All right. We could call them survivors. So, just to paint a picture for you all, these are folks who have come through and they've made a decision to come back with wisdom and knowledge, with commitment and energy and expertise to create pathways through and pathways out. At the same time, I, I just want to say the critical aspect of this future is that we're throwing a lot of money at a problem and I don't think we're throwing it in the right direction. And I think what's critical about this moment is that we have conversation. And so I'm glad that this podcast creates a space and vehicle to say, what are we going to do together that evidences and confirms the values that we continue to put in our mission statements and on our fact sheets and you know on our websites? Let's actualize this in this moment because people are hurting in this moment.
2: Excellent. And and I'll just weigh in to say that when I think about critical futures, I'm thinking about um, obviously human conditions. And when I'm thinking about the human condition, um, I know oftentimes we seem to think about, you know, what governs and what drives the human condition in terms of like structures, systems and government or, you know, institutions we may be a part of, social service um entities. But to me, human conditions are governed by the inward reality of human beings. And when I'm thinking about the critical future, right, of human beings, I'm thinking about the current state of how human beings are seeing each other and behaving with each other. And we know that when we think about inequities inside of our society, we think about um who's being harmed, right, and who's not being harmed, or maybe think they're not being harmed on the front end, but really, right, it looks like they're being supported. But not really supported, right? Because again, again, as, as Denise just mentioned, you know, certain things are being like just thrown at us, right? Overconsumption of this, right? Fast food, this, you know, whatever the case may be, but bringing it back around full circle. When I'm thinking about who's being benefited and who's not being benefited, I know that comes from a human condition. I know that comes from how we see, how we see each other and how we feel about each other. And I know that if the current state that we're in right now, where there's certain individuals in power can dictate where resources go and can dictate whose life is valuable, if that inward condition is not challenged, if that inward condition is not supported to change, then the current state we're in today, right, which is critical, will be even more critical for our children and for our great, great grandchildren as to come. Um, I believe that we can easily return back to a state where we begin to believe that certain human beings are not worthy to be treated as actually human beings. And this is where we come from. And this is what we've been struggling, you know, saying to overcome, right, a society that legally defines or um, chooses to culturally define another population of people to be uh, treated in a certain type of way that suggests that they're not completely, their life is not valued as everybody else. If we don't do something now, the critical future is that that has a potential to become more normalized. And then the result of that is everything we see today, right, becomes to deteriorate even more so when it comes to social fabric of things. So when I hear critical futures, I'm thinking about how humans engage humans and how humans feel and treat other humans Right. Um and my concern is always is we don't return back to treating people as less than human, which is kind of a norm, unfortunately, in this maybe past thousand years or so.
3: Yeah, I wanted to thank you for adding that, Abdullah. I wanted to add to some of the points that Dylan Denise made. Um, actually reflecting on the research piece as well, because I know you had asked that. So for me, if you look at critical futures, obviously like what are we doing for a future generation as far as you know, building up champions of change when it comes to health equity, but obviously internally, we're looking at that, but what does it look like across our ecologies? So one of the things that CASM uses is the sociological framework. And what it, what are we doing when it comes to policies, when it comes to the organizational level in our communities? And then, you know, internally, what are we doing at an individual level? But most importantly, like when we're creating these policies, Are they going down to the community level? Are they touching those community based organizations and those community members? Because at the end of the day, you can't really shift, in my experience, on the work with community health workers that we've been doing. And as community health workers, if you're not touching the individuals that are closest to the issues of racial inequities, of violence, you're not getting to the actual problem. So, what is the root cause driver? What is the root cause issue that you're getting down to? Because at the end of the day, if you don't look at the root cause issue, you're not touching on the actual problem within the system, the wicked problems that are taking place. And so I think that's critically important when we're looking at critical futures. And when it comes to research, that's the way I also look at research. So research isn't about just writing and having something theoretical and then publishing it and having it collect dust. How do you put that into implementation? Then how do you sustain it and how do you scale up? Using an approach with community members to develop and co-design that because at the end of the day, you can have big kind of words, right? You can use all this kind of language around it, but if you don't get the community health workers involved, if you don't get those people involved who have lived experience of the day-to-day problems that oppressed populations face, then you're not really moving the needle when it comes to critical futures. Thank you for
0: that. And I think you highlighted three key points that I want to just focus in on quickly is that it seems what we're really talking about from your perspective in terms of critical futures is the human condition that we are normalizing, devaluing, dehumanizing, and capitalizing individuals as if they're not human, but more as tools or things that we use. And we can perpetuate this in our research when we define research in a way that doesn't connect with the community and community health workers that are helping us. We treat them as separate and not valued and not experts in the field. And so if we're going to shift that, there's some key work that we need to do. So of the issues that you brought up, Tell me a little bit about the work you're doing to address some of these issues, particularly for community health workers.
2: So the core of the work we're doing is about the humanization, right? So one, it's, it's, two, it's two fronts, right? One is the front of engaging systems, right? and And making sure that we understand it's not a structural issue, it's not a systemic issue, it's not these inanimate objects that's causing the problems, it's human beings that's causing the problems, it's people making decisions, right? And one of the things we're always attempting to reiterate is keeping a historical consciousness at the table in two areas, right? Historical consciousness as it relates to, right, what are the real root causes of why we have inequities, right? And then the historical consciousness inside the opportunity that's available in health systems in our society as a whole, but specifically in health systems, of the community health worker profession. Who is this promotor? Who is this community health representative? Who is this community health profession that we call community health workers? And what do they bring? right into the equation when it comes to humanizing, right, behaviors of systems, reminding, right, systems, right of who they've chosen to not somewhat ignore or neglect when it comes to the people being hurt the most. The CHW represents the opportunity, right, to be able to actually um balance and create this type of renormalization that everyone has something valuable to offer to repair some of the actual challenges or some of the actual things we've done in the past. Right. And that's the key piece I would actually say in the system is like, hey, guys, like we know what didn't happened in the past. Right. And we know that some of those behaviors still exist. We're here to help you, one, identify those behaviors and then two, be able to actually change those type of behaviors by making sure, you know, that there's people on the ground really being hurt by your decisions. Right. When you just allocated those funds. Right. That could have went to another place that really was beneficial to people who have been historically denied this resource. Right. If you would have did differently, we could have showed you how we could have really moved the needle forward and helped the people that need to be helped. CHWs are there to do that. The second thing I'm going to say is on the ground, there's also needs to be a re-igniting, a revitalization, somewhat of a renaissance, right, amongst community professionals and understanding what they've actually bring to the table, the value and the resilience and the resistance and the actual growth and the progress that they have and show and share how do we begin to interact with systems and not allow ourselves to continuously be um, exploited? How do we organize ourselves? If I love what Nachua is doing. I love what other organizations are doing like Nachua, where we're trying to organize these professionals to be able to take their brilliance and interface with systems and say, hey, listen, man, like I'm here to help you do what you haven't been able to do. right? I just need you to be able to actually respect me and value me in that particular regard. And sometimes, and I'm going to close with this, sometimes you just can't ask people, Right, you have to leverage and actually out demonstrate and actually force that behavior to change. And that's kind of like what I'm involved in on the ground, trying to build power in community, training community health workers, mobilizing community health workers, engaging community-based organizations, helping community members understand what they're going through, the roots of it, shifting language so they can actually have synchronized language so that when they're interacting with their public officials locally, right, in their counties and their cities, in addition on a state level, there's this synchronized language that keeps their finger on the pulse of root causes. To where the constituents begin to actually say, no, no, I hear you. But if you're talking about public health and you're talking about root causes, you're talking about upstream strategies, this is what I understand it to be, right? And making sure that's more consistent so that we can then crosswalk that whatever work that's happening in this high system. So the champions, the systems champions can then say, hey, guys, I know y'all not listening to me, <laughs> but this is what they're saying over there. And I'll just leave it at that. There's more details in terms of, but it's about the overall arching work. That's what we're doing on the ground specifically in the field of violence prevention, but of course, for us, they're shared in risk shared risk protective factors. what's the same um challenges for why violence persists in our communities is the same reason why you have overexposure to chronic disease like diabetes, hypertension heart disease et cetera et cetera they're the same dynamics poverty, lack of poor housing, lack of educational opportunities, lack of ed- adequate distribution of resources so yeah
3: and i i'll I'll add to that so specifically um We're doing the work within violence prevention and obviously that's been uplifted. So CBPR, community-based public health response to violence, it's actually the crux of the evidence-based strategy that we use in the policy, the APHA policy that Denise has very much championed that got passed. Um, It also goes back to looking at what Abdullah mentioned, systems champions, right? So some of the work that we also do within North Carolina, the state is doing trainings around health equity and CHW culture Abdullah does a whole piece on history and just an amazing piece on it. But we're training the systems champions, and that's a part of personally the part the work that I've been doing um, outside of the state. And um, we did a national conference that Denise was at on training systems champions, but also CHWs as well, because within the systems, within healthcare systems, these systems champions need to understand how to support community health workers who are not being paid enough, who are not being trained in the correct way, who are asking to be certified, although their lived experience and the, the, just the value that they bring to the table is overwhelming, but they're being asked so many things because they're being marginalized within a system that gives accolades to credentials rather than lived experience. So the other piece that we're doing as well as training CHWs as evaluators in North Carolina, and what we're really looking at is kind of what Denise was going talking about is What is our indigenous ways of knowing when it comes to research and evaluation? How do you look at that in a way that goes back to valuing our narrative and our lived experience, not just the academy taking it from the community, the system taking it from the community? Where did this work come from and how CHWs can be so valued in lifting up narrative and lifting it up in such an authentic way that you really understand what community members are going through? Because oftentimes when the healthcare system does it, the data and the outcomes that we're collecting are not measuring up, it's falling apart. So measure what matters at the end of the day if you're gonna save your community and community members. And then of course, you know we have the policy that you all have probably looked at, the APHA policy where CHWs are being lifted as violence prevention professionals and uh, work in health equity. So I think those are some of the pieces we're doing. We're also working with the association on looking at advanced certification for CHWs. So how, are, how do you get from doing direct service all the way to working to policy and the systems level? So oftentimes we think that CHWs are only able to do direct service and they can't work on the executive level, but that's very incorrect. It's oftentimes the CHWs who have the lived experience with the community members head on that bring that expertise to the table. So we, you know we went, we had a day in March on Capitol Hill that Nachwa Denise was a part of and put together. And these policies fall apart and they don't touch the communities because the legislators don't really know what the communities are going through. So it's these community health workers, advocates, the community members that bring that actual expertise to the table. And we have to figure out how to give them credit for that. At the end of the day, this great work has to be attributed to them, which is not happening. Another form of inequity in our system.
1: I mean. First of all, the work is incredible, and I'm just enjoying the listening. Um, what do I want to say about uh, this opportunity and sort of what I, I get to do and what I think I'm called to do? Um, I want to go back to uh, the earlier conversation about humanizing. Uh, Community health workers, all all peoples, I think, are suffering under a capitalist system in which they're commodified. But I just want to talk about community health workers for just a moment. Um, a lot of reason that that happens is because people don't know who we are. And uh, let let me say it. Let me say it this way: community health workers experience those three levels of racism that Camara uh, Jones articulated so, so well. We experienced institutionalized racism coming from communities and populations, histories, uh, nations that have been colonized and oppressed. Those structures that emanate in policies, economic systems, etc., laws, impact us every day and, We have generational poverty. We have generational diabetes. Uh, We have generational incarceration. That personally mediated racism, that interpersonal experience, is often a part of community health workers every day as they're trying to deliver services, as they're trying to draw down resources to the community, as they're trying to uh, navigate, advocate. Um, refine, um, explore, identify problems and challenges, and then address them, because um, many of us and i'll I'll speak for myself you know i'm fifty three now, but um i didn't I didn't have a bachelor's degree until I was forty five years old, and I got paid uh I would call them slave wages, but let's just say it was less than a living wage, and that was because of a piece of paper. Um, it was not because of my skill. It was not because of my commitment. It was not because of my impact or my output. It was a hierarchy um, that is fed by institutional racism, but is experienced with those we are supposed to be colleagues with. And the third level is really important. And I think this is what is so transformational and activating. And I think all three of us are, are doing this, Abdul, Ramana and I is that this level of internalized racism each one of us um persons who come from oppressed and marginalized communities who've experienced that oppression have to come to a point where we confront that that confrontation can come through our spiritual walk it can come through mentorship or just like you know you know just street university you know what i'm saying just like i lived it i lived it i lived it And we begin to transform. But, but what I think is so exciting about that is that at the very moment that the world was calling for community health workers as a result of a global pandemic. Oh my goodness. You know, the average person is not listening to us. The average person will not receive public health communications. The average person does not trust government. The average person is not, you know, how are we going to communicate? Oh my goodness. So many different languages. Oh my gosh. You know, they they won't hear us. Who can translate? Who can, who has trust? At that very moment, community health workers were so marginalized as a profession. As Ramana said, the lowest paid among all public health professionals, not recognized as any type of professional from national legislation or in more than 30 states were not even acknowledged as a profession, Okay. We were not prioritized for the vaccine, but we were put on the front lines of response. So what happens um, when we come out of these communities, we begin to internalize that racism. And we, I think we begin to suppress our own leadership. And so what's very exciting, in other words, what I think NACHWA can be and some of what we can contribute is that we, through our membership and our connectivity and our activities, begin to identify great leaders wherever they are they're already leaders we're not making leaders but we are identifying leaders and trying to create platforms we're trying to aggregate the experience of leaders into policy and advocacy action right like the national uh, CHW awareness week which is a very simple thing but there's so such a lack of recognition that i think that's what we're doing and it what is the impact It has the impact over time of shifting the narrative because now there are more of our voices in spaces all over the country. There are more of us crying out. That doesn't mean that it's easy and it doesn't mean that it's going to happen overnight. But more leaders are rising because they're supported by the research that Romana is doing because they have an opportunity to get training the type of training that Abdul is doing, it cultivates right, and crystallizes and amplifies our leadership, like the national policy platform that NACHWA put together, so that now we're armed and we're supported to come out of these spaces where we feel so small and where we can live out that greatness.
2: Excellent. I agree. And I'll add to that. I think that's an excellent point. Um, And now we're talking about not asking for permission. Right. And the CHW profession should not have to ask for permission. And when I say CHW profession, just for our listeners to know, I'm talking about all the spectrum community health professionals, including promotoras and community health representatives that's actually sacrificed and invested to make us be able to even say the word community health worker right today. But the point is. is um, The evidence is there, right? The uh, demonstration is there. Right. And sometimes, as, as, as Denise mentioned, we have to remember or we have to be reminded who we are, right? We are survivors. We are individuals that's already overcome. We've already thrived in the midst of every potential opposition you can imagine that a human being goes through. And we step to the forefront as actual, not only because of historical, right? Um, achievements, but in our own personal lives, having achieved, right? Current conditions. We step forth as a profession of individuals wanting to help our community. But this is the thing, though. We have a phrase here inside of Wilmington, North Carolina, at Sokoto House, right? Um, beautiful team of individuals, you know, brilliant minds that come together. We have a phrase called demonstrate to educate. Educate to liberate. What do we mean by demonstrate to educate? Right? I can interact all day long with health systems and various other systemic um entities that right, that's actually adopted this normalized behavior to want to treat me as less than and want to actually compensate me for less than and want to take my ideals and not give me credit for, right? I can wrestle with you and I will wrestle with you as long as I can because We're citizens of this country. We have a right to those resources that you're supposed to be allocating to our people, right? So I'm going to be there still engaging you. But at the same time I'm doing that, I'm also going to simultaneously out-demonstrate you. I'm going to simultaneously be engaged in my community. I'm going to do the work that I'm doing. I'm becoming more effective at articulating what I'm doing. I'm going to become more effective at organizing my community, to be able to articulate what I'm doing. And I'm also going to try to connect up with people like Romana, people like Denise, and various other leaders, and try to get them to help us Bring system tools into community-based and spaces, community-based organizations amongst community health workers, so we can begin to evaluate and actually measure our own outcomes. Right, articulate the results of our own outcomes, be able to engage with certain type of um, research entities that are equitable, right, and be able to then get peer-reviewed literature to show our own outcomes and demonstration, so that we can then come back to that table and say, "Listen, I see what you're doing. It's amazing." But what you've been able to do with a million dollars, I was able to do with less than 100,000, right? (laughs) And here's the data that shows that. Now, let's have a real conversation about being um, optimizing, right, the society's resource, right? Because your constituents, right, they want the best outcome for everyone, right? Even if it's people that they're not used to seeing on a regular basis, they feel like they don't want to see crime. They feel like they don't want to see these communities have going through what they're going through because they have to somehow interact with them. Well, guess what? if you really want to improve the conditions of our environment, we are an asset, right, that can't be denied, right? And that's kind of like the next phase, right, where in one sense, we want to build within systems, but I believe it's the time for the CHW, thinking back to critical futures, right, for the community health worker profession, right, to begin to also think about how to increase its own capacity, right, how to demonstrate or out-demonstrate Right, how some professionals within our field is being used within health systems in a very limited manner, right? They're being told they, they can't do certain out they can't do certain activities or certain interventions, they're not gonna be measured for it, they're not gonna be paid for it. Okay, no problem. Well, let me do those particular interventions, let me do those show those particular outcomes and show you how much value it offers to the overall social ecology, right? The thing we're trying to increase, the thing we're trying to actually build. And the reason I say that is because. Until we begin to think about, right, how to build our own networks and to stand on our merits of our own networks, right? We're not gonna be able to compete with individuals that's already in positions, already with degree, because they look at us as a threat. It's outside of this racism, right? Racism is one of it, right? But you have people with the same color skin as actual community health workers, same languages as some community health workers that feel intimidated by the community health worker, right? Because they somehow think that they're doing, they're gonna come and do their job right? So we really just have to be able to say, okay, we have this network and we're connecting and trying to support health systems and treating us better and valuing us more. But it's not just health systems that can actually fund what it is community health workers do. If you look at the roles of CHWs across the C3 to 10 roles, we're a very diverse and agile population of people And the, crisis of, of the of the communities we deal with. Their crisis is far beyond just interacting with hospitals and clinics they have issues with housing, food, education, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and every community health worker with a relationship within the community with a u- unique connection to the community can support them in getting what they need. So again, I'm just going to bring it back around. It's also about demonstrating, organizing ourselves to be able to actually demonstrate right a higher level um, representation of what interventions right from a community health lens look like. While at the same token, partnering and valuing, but in order for us to do that, we're going to need right. Resources in terms of evaluation, we can make it a part of our culture, right? And, how, and also making sure CHWs know where their lane is at when it comes to evaluation. We can't do everything, right? So sometimes community health workers, we begin to say that we're evaluators and we begin to also say that we can do what people inside the field of epidemiology can do. We can't. We need partners to do that, right? We need partners. But there's a whole nother field when it comes to block by block assessments, focus groups, you know what I'm saying? Getting that actual qualitative data that we're the experts on. We can get it better than anybody out there. Right, you know what I'm saying, and make sure that that data can be collaborated with statistical data, and then allow for it to be, you know, what I'm saying analyzed, and then allow that information to be put into the hands of the people that can do something with it. These are the type of things I feel like for our critical future is the next thing. The community health worker profession has to stop asking for permission and stop asking for being legitimized. We have to step into spaces knowing already that we're legitimate and demonstrating as if we're legitimate. That's the next phase for us. Wow doing the other piece, right? We need to still engage and still need to kind of advocate and say, Hey, can you try to think about dealing with us differently and fighting with them? That's all good and dandy, but I'm very much trying to encourage us as a profession to start building infrastructure within our actual uh, uh, community environments, right? A community health system, a community health society where those professionals are building and actually activating and getting resources from multiple different sources, not just health, so- not just health systems. That's uh,
0: great discussion about not only where will we go, but I want you to explain, expand a little bit more on how would you radically reimagine the healthcare system, right? You've begun to discuss it in numerous ways about ensuring that community health workers are part of the system, can do the research. But if you could just reimagine the whole healthcare system,
3: tell me more. I think the biggest thing um, for me, if I could re- reimagine the healthcare system, and I wanna go back to what Abdullah says and, and what Denise has said too, is the healthcare system is one-eighth. Of, if you look at social determinants of health, healthcare, medical, clinical services, one-eighth of our health. Our overall health includes social determinants of health within the four walls of where we live, of our environment. It goes beyond the healthcare system. It should be overall health is what we're looking at. And so I just wanna make that point because we need to look at debt. We need to look at upstream services. We need to look at preventive services because if we don't do that, we're not really addressing the health of our populations and the health is not gonna get better. So that in itself, we need to redefine what health means, And that means going and expanding beyond just medical services. Um, For community health workers specifically, I think payment is such a huge, huge piece payment and the resource that we give to them. And so, you know, we've been doing research since 2014 on sustainable financing models for community health workers. At the end of the day, if you don't have sustainable, equitable payment for CHWs, you do not have equity for CHWs within healthcare systems. They have to have a wage that beyond a, a living wage, right? Like what Denise was talking about, they're not even getting paid a lot of them, they're volunteers, but for the work that they do, they should be paid at a much higher level beyond living wage to honor the the work that they do. They do the most, um, you know, when it comes to violence, they're going in risky environments. When it comes to even going into the home, they're, they're doing critical work that's needed to be understood when they bring it back to the office. So I think payment is such a big piece as well within the healthcare system. And then once you have that kind of payment, whether you're using braided payment, you're using alternative payment models and you get something sustainable, it also actually changes the culture of the healthcare system. So when you often have payment that's looking at measures, so what are those measures? Are you looking at quality measures where you're improving overall health for that population? And if you are looking at quality measures, rated payment or alternative payment models, you're actually incentivizing the hiring of a CHW. When you incentivizing the hiring of a CHW, we're also honoring that CHW within that system. So, oftentimes, you'll see when we were doing research, we would talk to Blue Cross, Blue Shield, United, some of these other organizations, Greenville Health System, that were using alternative payment models. And the dynamic they had with the CHWs and the culture was very different than those CHWs who, in the healthcare system specifically that were being paid through grants or paid through um, fee for service. So, I would say those pieces are really important and the kind of resources they get. And then, of course, Are they involved in, you know, co-designing organizational policy? Are they involved? How are they, what kind of resources do they have? Um, What kind of core values are being practiced in that? And I'm bringing this stuff up also specifically because CASM has been actually working in the state um, of North Carolina NCAHEC with Evan and Wandersman Center on a health equity assessment tool. And these are all different kinds of components that we have in their domains that we look at and how to integrate CHWs equitably within organizations and healthcare systems. So those are some of the key pieces that I would put in for transforming um, healthcare systems, but especially with the focus of CHWs and, and equity for CHWs.
1: Yeah, there's a lot here. Um, let me just, I'll start with this. If we don't have universal healthcare coverage, um, we're not gonna get very far. Um and we know if you are black or brown in the United States, you're more likely to have a job that does not provide healthcare. Um so just on that strength, if we just talk about the existing broken system, this disease management system, I do not call it a healthcare system. As someone who is a survivor of a rare chronic disease having had to navigate that. Um the second thing that I wanna say um is that um, navigating our current system is very much a game of secrets. Okay. There's no, you don't go to any grade school, high school, college and learn anything about health insurance, how to navigate the healthcare system, how to find a primary care provider. There's no, you don't go anywhere to learn that. Okay. So health literacy and health insurance literacy, specifically, if we're just talking about the existing system, it's a game of secrets. That's external. In other words, that's what the average person experiences. Internally, it's a game of secrets, co-pays and deductibles and premiums and uh, formularies and tiers and in-network and out-of-network, all of these things, right? A code that could be preventive or diagnostic that makes a difference between whether there's no pay or whether it's $2,000, okay? it's a game of secrets the existing system and so when you ask the question i thought i don't i don't know about changing the healthcare system and i don't say that flippantly uh i know some folks would just say oh let's just tear it down there's a lot of folks carrying disease right now that need treatment that need care so unfortunately unless we want to lose our loved ones and family and community members we have to deal with the system that we have right now one of the things that um, is also true. And I think we've heard in this podcast many things that are true about, um, those who call themselves CHWs. So I just want to go back to go forward. Um, we, CHWs do not have right now the agency, okay, to do whatever it takes to address the upstream or downstream needs of individuals and families that they encounter. Okay. We work within systems and programs that limit the scope of work, that don't talk to one another, that don't think we're smart enough to, you know, do that. I, I was on a a global webinar during COVID with an Asha from Southern India one, and I heard her say, we have, and I'm certainly paraphrasing. She said, we have over 3000 spices. And you're telling me that I can't tell the difference between five medications. You know, I mean, it was just a laughable moment. She was like, who are you talking to? You you understand what I'm saying? Um, so we we doubt the capability of the workforce. And so we limit that workforce. There's a lack of agency. But oftentimes I go back to go forward because because people really don't know who we are. And so when people ask me, well, oh, CHWs, you know, how do we know they're effective? How long have they been around? I ask people the question, how do you think Enslaved Africans survived plantations with no salary, no access to healthcare, no access to traditional medicines, language, culture, spirituality, family, support networks of any kind. Who was dealing with the fevers? Who was birthing babies? What about the mental health issues? What, who was hand, who was preserving Language, culture, faith. Who learned how to cook foreign foods so that we didn't all die from eating poison in the wood? Who, who was doing that? Who was telling those stories? Who was calming people to sleep at night when their kids were being ripped from? Who, who Who handled that? In other words, community creates its concepts of health. What's good for me may not be good for you. But if I'm not able to circle with my community, see, when I, when I look out here in Hartford and I see what's happening in, you know, two mile radius in Hartford, Connecticut, we need very specific medicine, very specific care. Other communities may or may not be feeling that, but if we don't get what we need, we'll lose another generation. And so, the healthcare system to me is almost an afterthought. The only reason it's so important is, is, well, I'll say one of the reasons is because so much of our tax dollars go into the healthcare system, but we do not control them. So that is absolutely taxation without representation. We're funding things that we cannot even access in the current system. And so again, CHWs are this bridge where adjutants, we're advocates, we're translators of language and culture, we're navigators, we're bridge builders because the system is broken, right? But we have a vision of health that 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 you know reverts back to our traditions, traditions of cultures which are numerous and
2: varied and beautiful, and they should stay that way excellent, excellent. You- that very specific statement, man, and make that the the main, the main, the main opening to the conversation. <laughs> that was excellent. Um, what I would say, I think what Romana said and what Denise said are, are especially combined, is like very comprehensive. But I'm gonna bring this extra component to it, I believe. When I envision health systems, one thing I would reiterate is that to me, I've already broken the boundaries of health systems being in the hands of just people right, within hospitals, clinics, and designated within these particular roles. To me, the system of health is the overall social ecology, right, all of us. And what does that look like to navigate and improve that system? And to me, the thing that I envision that's needed to improve it is for the organization and mobilization of the community assets that have historically always filled the gaps whenever those gaps of inequities were present. And certain people wasn't receiving what they needed to receive. Naturally, it's like the immune system of, of the human anatomy. Naturally, these people rise up, and you got the aunties, you got the uncles, you got those neighbors, you got the the champions that people naturally go to. And people, whether they're ready to be that or not, they become that person that helps people get what they need. Right? This is the CHW. This is the promotor. This is the community health representative. Now, how do we organize and mobilize that in a way? where through constituency power right we can begin to then leverage how other systems not just health but all the various educational system criminal justice system every system in our society that chooses to govern us right in a way that's not all the way fair how do we as constituents a professional constituent that also then taps into the constituents of people we provide services to on a daily basis our family and our friends how do we organize right that leverage that voice right that influence that power right? In order to begin to say, this is how we envision health, right? And this is how we want to help you be able to help us all have better health. And one of the things I would say, that's a very easy thing that could be done nationally. And it's one of the things that I've been doing anywhere I interact and I speak with CHWs. I say, man, the first thing we all have to do is make a distinction between who employs us and the job description and the job assignment they give us Versus the career and the profession that we are a part of, which is a profession of community health workers, a profession of promotoras, a profession of community health professionals as a whole. The reason why the distinction is necessary is that because you may only have that job for another year or another two years. Right. But absence of your allegiance to that job. Right. If you don't have a connection and a relationship to the profession, how are you going to proceed and continue to advance as a career? You have a career, then you have your job assignment within that career. Your job assignment may only give you the expectation to implement one or two of the 10 roles within the C3 core roles. Only one or two. And they may tell you that's what a CHW is and that's what a CHW do. And you believe that, then that will begin to think that you think that's all the CHW can do, or all CHW will ever do. But if you connect yourself to your local networks, your associations, your national associations right, and other type of informal networks that helps to organize the profession and then organize the people, we can then leverage our voice to be able to actually force individuals to treat us as we should be treated and to value our contributions in a manner that's legitimate because we have it packaged, we have it organized, and we have it articulated. This is the last thing I would say within that. The only way to make that work is that we have to have internal accountability. Right, I personally feel, and I I stand, I can never stop oppression anywhere outside of me if I don't first begin with me. I cannot stop inequities anywhere outside of me if I'm not willing to do the internal work within myself to make sure I'm being a fair and equitable, right, and empathetic human being. No matter what your color is, if you create another system, if there's people inside positions of influence, right, they'll begin to duplicate the behaviors of the very people we're trying to actually change when it comes to how our society behaves. Because it may be a race issue, but beyond race, you have gender issue. Behind gender, you have class issue. It's an issue of superiority. The human being has a problem with treating other human beings as lesser than, and they find reasons to do it. So in order to kind of create a system on the actual, a community health system, right, something that really allows us to be able to interface with other health systems and other type of systems to say, hey, listen, we're a profession that's willing to serve our community. You need our community to serve, respect us, interact with us equitably or whatnot. And as to have power to be able to say that and do that, we have to also make sure our gatekeepers right, are held accountable and they're also doing their internal work to not become like the people who's already oppressing us because any of us can become that right so and that's that piece right there i think that's the next shift If we can help us begin to say we have a career we have a profession regardless of what our assignment is and within that we create this type of internal culture where we're actually valuing and we're actually treating each other right the way that we're expecting other people to treat us right i believe that that's what i envision as the next key critical steps for a better future if we can actually leverage those because everything else is there man like If you look at the CHW, I'm not going to say CHW, if you look at the actual contributions of just regular everyday citizens, it's one of the most untapped sources of brilliance inside our society, right? And if you take those individuals, you begin to professionalize them and train them, you're talking about an actual high velocity of brilliance on a daily basis that's actually improving the lives of human beings in ways that the system are not even able to imagine to do. I haven't even got to a place of even imagining how to go into certain parts of certain environments and help those people. They can't even think that level. And we're in those environments. We need to organize it, codify it and mobilize. And I believe that what Nacho is doing and under the leadership of, of Denise is that, right, It's the beginnings of that. And I believe the work that we're trying to do with Chasm and it's other amazing organizations across the country that are CHW led and also CHW advocacy led that is doing that work. And I just think we're in a cre- critical moment right now to be able to make sure that the critical future that we imagine is possible.
0: That is so important. Highlighting if we're gonna reimagine the system, we're gonna focus on constituency, power to leverage, mobilize, organize for change, and really redefine what we talk about in health, make things transparent to radically reimagine our system. I'm gonna shift us a little bit to the question of how should funders support this work, right? Because the healthcare system payers are just one part, and you've already mentioned ways that you're expanding what community health workers are viewed as doing when you talk about evaluation and about research. So let's talk about how can funders support this work that you're doing?
1: I'm sure we've all got a long list. Maybe we can just create a long list here in real time. Um, First, um, both public and private funders, but I think we're talking more about philanthropy at this moment, um, need to acknowledge us as a unique, unduplicated profession. Um, Without that, Um, codified in their RFPs and NOFOs and things like that. There is no representation. There's no self determination. Um, there's no cohesiveness and there's no protection or respect for the workforce. And that's one of the things that we saw. You know, there's a, there's a lot of folks who are looking at the COVID dollars. There's over 2.2 billion that went out and it sort of had community on it. And I had a conversation with someone and they said, Oh, you know, community health workers got. 2.2 billion dollars and I thought okay I'm gonna let you finish that statement and then we're going to talk about where that money actually went but part of the reason that it was so um, uh, that it did not reach perhaps its intended audience is because people didn't know who they were talking about who are the authentic trusted community leaders who are who are in the community and from the community so the first thing that philanthropy can do is they can come to community health workers recognize how we want to be represented, how we are defined, and then elevate those definitions that includes our roles, right, our scope of work, and make sure that that is embedded there. that That's really important. Um, the other thing is we have to eliminate those barriers that are structural. And again, um, a lot of this was well and easily documented um, during the pandemic. So, for instance, when organizations create requirements that don't reflect any way that community health workers operate. Um, one, they're telling that they don't know who it is that they're actually trying to engage, okay? And so so really, you wanna talk to folks before you develop the RFP. What, here's what we're trying to do, but are we actually aiming in the right direction? Are we using the right levers? Is this gonna get to the people that we think it's gonna get to? So that sort of consultation would help, but often that doesn't occur. And so there are structural barriers that are created whereby they think we are academic institutions. They think we um, have grant writers. They think that um, we have access to electronic health records. They think that, um, you know, they think we're little doctors or little nurses or or whatever. they think we can only work under a doctor or that we can only work under a nurse. So there's all kinds of misconceptions about who we are um, coming to authentic workforce members Helps to eliminate that. It helps to refine, um, in one sense, the you know uh, uh, the extraneous parts that only create barriers. And it also helps to hone in on the assets and the capacity that is needed. Again, we're in um, a history of the United States where we haven't seen general investment in public health. So forget about investment in community-based organizations. You can't expect weekly data uploads and unless you're going to invest in that capacity okay where are the dollars for operations okay where are the dollars to make that connective tissue um there are lots of things that happen um that reflect um again a lack of understanding of how the profession operates one of the things that abdul said earlier um when he talked about our networks and our associations is there are are a lot of public and private funders who actually don't know that CHWs are leading organizations all over the country. And when I say that, I do mean the aunties. I do mean the tribal nation uh, community health representatives. I do mean the promotores and the promotores de salud all over the United States for decades and decades and all over the globe, already leading organizations. Um, But you have to understand how those organizations work so that you can authentically partner with them. Let let me just stop there, because I know Ramana and Abdul might have some other things to add.
3: Yeah, I Denise, you're totally on point. And one of the things that happened during COVID, right, is it highlighted the work of community health workers. But what it also did is it made them indispensable. So we bring in community health workers when we need them based on convenience. And then we act like, you know, we don't know what resources they need, you know, we over, we overthink, well, not overthink, but we over, um, over, We think that when it's convenient, we think they have the resource they need. When it's not convenient, they don't have the resources. They're just indispensable. They're like yo-yos that you push back and forth. When I'm honestly tired and sick of it, as I'm sure Denise and, and our you know, colleagues are in our CHWs across the country. And this goes back to RFPs. Like during COVID, there was a flux of RFPs. And somehow CHWs were kind of like fit in there, wedged in there, um, and they never, the resources never went to them. At the end of the day, it was all about how do we help our dominant culture not to get COVID, right? As soon as it affected the overall society and the dominant culture, that's when we were like, okay, we need to do something about it. And going back to Denise's point, that's because we never really put importance into public health when you put importance into public health, you start putting importance into community health workers. So from the very get go, we've had a sick system of not looking at the correct interventions. When these RFPs came out, we didn't even think about like, if we get this funding, right? It's still going into the hands of systems. It's still going into the hands of this hierarchical system where those in power are still holding on to those resources and this funding. So in the end of the day, it's not going to the community health workers. We really need to start thinking, how do we get funding directly to community-based organizations? And since those community-based organizations most likely don't have a grant manager, they don't have the resources, and we should be fully aware of this. At this point, healthcare systems know that community-based organizations don't have those resources, and it's almost used as a monopoly to be able to keep those resources for themselves and capitalize on it. It doesn't work. It doesn't save our society. It doesn't save our populations. It doesn't do anything for the outcomes they're trying to achieve. So at the end of the day, they're not achieving what they're trying to do. So we need to figure out how do we get these resources directly, these funds directly into the hands of CBOs where the CHWs are most invested in working day to day with these community members. And in doing that, how do we get them a grant manager? How do we get them You know the opportunity to be able to apply to these grants. Um, In our training that Abdullah and I do, we talk about equitable partnerships. What does that look like? Even when you're doing publications or you're writing a peer reviewed paper, when you're going through IRB, like Harvard is starting to do a system where CBOs can start applying for it. All those different pieces when it comes to RFPs, getting funding, um, all of those pieces are so important. And we need to figure out how to get those resources to those community-based organizations instead of healthcare systems saying, oh, I'm here, I'll handle the funds, I'll take care of it. At the end of the day, if you don't have the community health workers and, and the CBOs involved, like Denise said, from the very beginning of the RFP, and I don't care if that's RFP, I don't care if it's research, evaluation, policy, every piece across the social ecology, a CHW should be involved. Every piece of that, every step of the way, because they're the voice of the community that they're representing.
2: I think everybody said like very excellent points. I'm just going to add a couple of things. Um, so, one, I think we have a, we have, so this is to the funders, because this message is obviously a question for the funders. So I'm going to speak to this, but I think there's two types of funders that's out there. One is the one who gets it and really wants to make sure their money is going in the places that's going to actually offer the most optimum benefit. And I think it's the other funder that decides to fund CHWs because really they have to, right? And that's okay. Right. I, I like you guys, too, because you guys are still getting the money to us. But you have a tendency, I think, both to do exactly what um, Denise and Ramana has mentioned is take the easiest route out. And my main message is to the ones who really want to see their money get a bang for their buck and really have some form of social impact. Take your time. Right. Do your due diligence. Right. Connect with the people inside the workforce. It's a huge opportunity. There's nothing like the community health worker workforce inside of our country. It's a population of people who've actually have been forged by virtue of their survival of some of the most heinous things that happen out of our country. It's a huge opportunity. And it's not an opportunity that looks like a potential for success and results. It's already proven success and proven results. If you want to tap into that, take your time and do your due diligence. And I think there's two things you can do with taking your time and doing your due diligence. Make sure you're hiring people that's managing the distribution of those funds that really get the importance of. Tapping into these unique professions or these unique communities and getting the resources to the people who really need it. Make sure your hiring process, right, is a hiring process that reflects a genuine concern for that. Secondly, I'm going to put this plug out here. I think it's important. In our National Association of Community Health Workers and with the leadership of Denise um, Octavia Smith, right, and others, she's tapped into, right, a group of actual organizations that can provide technical assistance, right? It's available on their website. We're one of those organizations. There's other ones, right? common indicators, and et cetera, et cetera. And there's other ones beyond those that's named. That's actual community-based organizations. Community help workers have been in the field for 20-something plus years as executive directors and have actually proven successful CHW programs in the midst of all opposition. There's a way to activate those individuals to provide technical assistance. So if you begin to distribute funds to these community-based organizations, there is a network of highly qualified professionals that's already mapped the terrain of how to make sure community-based organizations get what they need to be able to provide those reports, create a culture of evaluation so that you get what you need to know that your money has been actually um, used in the best way and that the actual data is showing that that money has been used in the best way. Tap into that network, right? It's a small bit of money with the overall money you're going to allocate and make sure that there's an actual third party that's providing technical assistance in order for you to feel a little bit more confident if you might be taking a risk on traditionally marginalized communities who don't have all the bells and whistles that you need in order to give them funding. Remember, they don't have the bells and whistles because they've been historically marginalized, right? They've been historically disenfranchised. It's, it's designed that way. So if you want to tap into that, right, and you want to feel confident that your funders, right, are not thinking that you're taking a risk, there's a whole network of individuals that can help, you know what I'm saying, assure that that investment is not as risky as it seems. Tap into that. There's all, there are professionals, there are networks, and I, I would just say again, Nachwa is a really good go-to. They've already been building those networks. They've already been building those, seeing those professionals and giving them a spot. They know who's who. They know who's providing what, right? Tap them as an opportunity to see, well, who can help us make sure these funds are, delib- are um, distributed properly and that we get the return that we're looking for in our investment. And other than that, I'll just my final thought to any funder, to anyone else, man, I think when you think about the community health worker profession and what it has to offer today, you're literally talking about the essence of equity. Like these professionals represents populations of people, whether they're indigenous, um, African, immigrants, you know, um, you know, certain type of populations of women that's been historically marked LGBTQ that's currently, current to a major level of actual um, disenfranchisement and, and harm. When you start thinking about that particular profession, know that you're tapping into, as Denise mentioned before, a very distinct and incomparable profession. If we can build this profession up, right, it's already built. But we can build it up with the proper type of economic infrastructure, the financial infrastructure. You're talking about an opportunity in the United States of America that'll be unparalleled, right? Because you're bringing two worlds together, and if people can see it that way, they can see it beyond just a profession, but literally tapping into a whole group of marginalized individuals and activating them and empowering them to be able to partner with the powers that be to be able to make our society better. Now we're envisioning, right, a better and more cri- a critical right future that's better.
3: I think it comes down to also who holds power, right? And this goes back to the equity that we're talking about systemic inequities. And we have to be start getting comfortable with being able to neutralize and give shift power into our, the hands of our community members, the hands of our CBOs. And as Abdullah was saying, Denise Smith and Natra has done an excellent job in being leaders on showing how to deconstruct power, how to neutralize power and say, look, we're gonna, be here as trusted leaders within the country for CHWs, but we're also entrusting these other organizations to kind of help lead how CHWs should be doing the work for technical assistance and these other pieces. And so it goes back again to this conversation of deconstructing power and being comfortable in sharing and being equitable with that power to empower our own society and build up the kind of health outcomes that we're looking for. We need to be able to start there at that very root cause, that deep seated issue that's going on, which is Really, you know, not giving power to one organization or one system over community. And we need to be able to get there. Thank you for this
0: conversation today. It's been enlightening, particularly this discussion about risk and what we are currently in the process of heading to, right? It's oftentimes a discussion of it's risky to give money to community health workers or to, value them, or let them lead us when really the risk is that we dehumanize individuals. People don't get care and people die. And if we continue to fund the healthcare system, if we continue to fund institutions as if they are community, then that is leading us down the wrong path. I'm going to end with just saying thank you to our guests. Denise, Ramana, and Abdullah, and we look forward to you joining us for another episode of Critical Futures. Thank you.
2: Thank you, Rakaya. Thank
3: you.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: Thank you for listening to the Critical Futures podcast. If you're feeling inspired and looking for more resources, please check out www.ihje.org podcast for show notes and links to resources and to
1: subscribe. Thanks for tuning in.